Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the Internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code NOGIRLS at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash NOGIRLS, code NOGIRLS. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. There's no hiring bias against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. Would you rather your child have feminism or cancer? All of these completely messed up headlines were actual headlines of stories published on the far-right website Breitbart.com. Known for publishing misogynistic, xenophobic, and racist articles, dangerous conspiracy theories, and deliberately misleading stories. It's also one of the most important sites in the era of Trump. Their former chairman, Steve Bannon, even served as Trump's chief strategist. And where there's an online website, there's brands keeping that website afloat by giving them money to run ads on that website. But one group went on a mission to make that kind of racism, misogyny, and hate speech unprofitable. Sleeping Giants became one of the most influential activist organizations of the Trump era, Their strategy involved urging their members to tweet screenshots of brands, running ads on websites that support and publish hate speech, asking if those sites match their values, and urging them to pull their ads. In doing so, they learned that oftentimes, reputable brands have no idea what sites their ads run on. Sleeping Giants was run anonymously to create the impression that it was run by more than just two people. After the conservative news outlet Daily Caller published a piece outing one person behind Sleeping Giants, Matt Ravitz. He and his family faced death threats. Later, Matt was profiled in a New York Times piece alongside Sleeping Giants co-founder Nandini Jammy. 
Sleeping Giants was so successful that they contributed to Breitbart seeing a 90% drop in ad revenue. They also contributed to a broader conversation about how reputable brands are funding extremism by spending ad money on websites that publish hate speech. So this should be a success story, right? In July, Nandini published a scathing piece on Medium, saying that while she believed she was working with Matt as a partner, he gaslighted her out of the movement they built together. While their working relationship started on a good note, Matt began taking high-profile speaking engagements and obscuring her role in their work, eventually erasing her altogether. She writes, I want to share with you my journey with Sleeping Giants, why taking credit matters, and why you must fight for yourself as hard as you fight for your cause. I want to show you how a woman of color almost disappeared from the movement she built and what you can achieve when you refuse to follow the rules your white male leader sets for you. I hope other brilliant women of color and marginalized folks see yourselves in me and don't wait as long as I did. The stakes are too high for you to disappear. Now, Nandini is done letting her voice be left out of the narrative. So how did you get started in this work? In November 2016, I was working as um, as head of growth for a tech startup, and I went to visit Breitbart.com for the first time after the elections. Just like everyone else, I was trying to figure out what happened and what we're dealing with here. And the first thing I noticed was ads for some of the biggest companies in the world on this website. You know, we've been hearing a lot about how it was putting out hate speech and, you know, misinformation and fake stories and all that stuff. But no one had ever really talked about um, the ads and the ads are how that website makes money. So uh, I'm no genius. I just I had like run a Google ad campaign like once a couple of months before that. And I uh, I had been quite particular about where my ads were going. I was, I was curious and interested in making sure they were appearing in, uh, in sort of reputable places on the internet. And so the first thing I, I thought of was, you know, the site placements, you know, the, the, the marketers who are running their campaigns are not looking at their site placements. And all we have to do is get these, um, get these folks to add Breitbart.com to their exclusion list. If they do that, then Breitbart will no longer make money. <laughs> like it, it was kind of like a crazy idea because there are so many companies who have Google ads, like possibly millions. Um, and, and the idea was to get all of them to one by one um, to, to drop, uh, to drop bright parts. So um, I, I wrote a little, uh, I wrote a medium post and hoped for it to, to go viral um, where I basically sort of out- outlined this crackpot idea where I was like, we should all just go into our Google ads, add it to our exclusion list, and then Breitbart won't receive our money anymore, and then they'll go out of business. And um, while that piece didn't go viral, the concept of tweeting at a company, which is something that I did as well, I tweeted out at like Old Navy, that was the first ad I saw, um, and letting them know that their ad is funding uh, this hateful website was um, was something that that took off. Um, someone uh, someone else on the other side of the country, my uh, my partner who became my partner, um, had the same idea. We we sort of went into business in that sense in uh, in terms of reaching out to companies and asking them to check their ads and make sure that they they have Breitbart on their, on their uh, exclusion list. And it just kind of took off from there. So from you writing this piece, urging these brands to, to block, you know, ad spends on Breitbart, this is how you first got connected with Matt. Matt reached out to you from this piece and thought we should work together. How did this, how did your relationship with Matt and Sleeping Giants come to be? So I wrote this piece on, I believe it was November 23rd. And then by the next day I had, he had, Tech, like tweeted at me saying, awesome article, we're doing the same thing, we should, you know, um, you should join us. And I was like, super excited to, to see that someone else had the same idea. We moved very quickly from DMs to email to phone. Um, turns out, like, 
we just have a lot in common. We're both copywriters. Um, we're both originally from Maryland. Um, and, and yeah, he seemed really cool. So I wanted to, of course, I wanted to work together. Um, I think like for me working, joining forces meant that we were like partners. Um, he had just started sleeping giants as an account a week before and it was it was still nothing you know there was maybe a couple dozen maybe a couple hundred followers um what we decided to do was i would run the facebook page so we started up a facebook page which i um became responsible for and he continued to run the twitter account and there was no like formal agreement or anything like that because we never imagined that it would turn into anything so we were just like all right like it was just taken at one day at a time flying by the seat of our pants kind of a deal. Nandini and Matt hit on something big by harnessing the power of collective social media users to pressure brands out of funding hate they were having a real impact. They got thousands of brands like AT&T, BMW, Visa, Lyft, and Warby Parker to stop running ads on Breitbart. Steve Bannon was even recorded talking about Sleeping Giants at a dinner in 2018. When I left in, in the takeover campaign, we were going to make like $8 million of free cash flow. That year. After we won, um, this group called Sleeping Giants, a group of tech executives, they, they literally stripped out. They went to the 35 exchanges that sell the ads, 31 went away. So the ad revenues dropped like 90%. They even got Breitbart so mad that after Kellogg's pulled their ads, Breitbart tried to organize an embarrassingly unsuccessful counter boycott, which Kellogg said had no discernible impact on their sales. After it was revealed that Fox News' Bill O'Reilly settled five different sexual harassment suits, Sleeping Giants pressured brands to stop advertising on his show. In a week's time, the O'Reilly Factor lost more than half of its advertisers, and Bill O'Reilly went on vacation and never returned. What were some of the successes that you all had with Sleeping Giants that you were really proud of? Oh my God, we did we did so much. Um, I mean, there was just the daily grind of of getting ads to drop. We, I mean, just the first few months. The first few months of this campaign was every day, um, you know, a couple dozen brands or whatever would would drop. Right, sometimes it would be like really big ones. So our first big win was Kellogg's. That was like that resulted in uh, Breitbart starting a campaign called I think it was like Dump Kellogg's or something, and it was it completely backfired. They, they were like <laughs> Kellogg's. Kellogg's doesn't support our, uh, you know, uh, Breitbart readers, so we're going, we're gonna, we're gonna dump Kellogg's in the sink or something like that. It was so stupid, um, but it gave us our first international headline, so that was really cool. Um, but yeah, the first, the first couple of months was just like, just like every, every so often, some big brand would come out and be like, yeah, we're not, we don't support this shit. And then um, after a while, we, we felt like we could you know, start working on other things. The first time we moved out of the, uh, or sort of grew out of the Breitbart work was when we decided to target Bill O'Reilly's advertisers. Bill O'Reilly had been sexually harassing his colleagues in the workplace for um, a period of decades, and the New York Times reported on it. We were like, well, this really does, this fits into our our mission statement of making bigotry and sexism unprofitable. And we felt like this is something we could take on. So we, um, we decided to contact Bill O'Reilly advertisers using the same exact MO that we did with Breitbart, just, you know, presenting them with the information and letting them make their own decision. And Bill O'Reilly lost dozens of advertisers and a couple months later, he was on spring break and, or an unplanned vacation or whatever. Unplanned vacation. <laughs> Heavy scare quotes around that. I know, right? Yeah, and then he was he was gone, and they were like, "Wow, we we're really onto something." And um, and then we went on to uh, target Tucker Carlson's advertisers. He's lost over, I believe, eighty advertisers over the past. Uh, two years that we've been working on that. Um, his show is basically 
uh, unprofitable. It's one of the highest rated shows on television. It just doesn't bring in any money. Yeah, just as a side note, one of my day jobs involves working with a feminist activist group, and we've targeted Tucker Carlson over the years. And I don't know what the deal is, but it's like that guy just keeps hanging on. We can't we can't seem to get him out of here. I think it's a lot of personal spite, to be honest, because after we got we got there, there was one advertiser um, who uh, their uh, language learning app called Babbel, and they put out quite the blistering statement on their Tucker Carlson ads. Um, they were sort of caught, uh, caught unawares, and they responded to our tweet saying, uh, this is, uh, we're so sorry, we never, um, you know, we're disappointed that our ads showed up on Tucker Carlson. We find his rhetoric to be repugnant. And that just triggered them. Um, they released, I think, their first statement specifically calling us out. Um, it was us, Media Matters, and MoveOn.org. And it was actually, I mean, I was very proud of that. I mean, we're just two people running an account in our spare time. <laughs> so I felt like I felt pretty proud of proud of ourselves then. You should definitely feel so proud of the work that you accomplished um, with Sleeping Giants, even though it, you know, you should no one can take that away from you that those are huge wins and also huge, you know, culture changing moments, you know, this idea that yeah, brands do have a responsibility to to be a little bit choosy about where their money goes, we should be pressuring brands to open their eyes to where they spend their money like that's a, a huge cultural shift that I don't think existed before your work. So you should definitely feel very, very proud and accomplished about that. Thank you. So when did things start to feel not so good working with Matt on Sleeping Giants? Yeah, so we had a really good relationship from the beginning. Um, he he was very nice to me. And, um, and I also, I admired him a lot. And I, um, I never imagined that there would ever be problems because it was like, we're, we're both here every day putting in the work and... Um, and we, I think there was a lot of mutual respect. At least that's what it felt like. When Matt realized that he was about to be doxxed by the Daily Caller, he went to the New York Times to sort of get, get ahead of the story. And during that time, asked me whether I would like to be interviewed for the story. And I guess I, I mean, I, when he said that, I think I, I assumed that I was being asked as a partner. I spoke to the reporter. I told her... Um, you know, how I was involved and all the stuff that we were doing and, you know, a little bit of background detail on on how we worked. And she asked me if I was, um, she asked me what my title was and I said co-founder. And then she was like, great. And then she comes back the next day and does a little fact checking. And um, and she's like, by the way, your partner said that you are not a co-founder. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't want to make a big deal out of it, so I didn't. I was like, just go with whatever he says. But um, that was sort of the first indicator that something was off. Um, and then after that, my, uh, you know, the story came out and my partner went on to take interviews with uh, sort of high profile uh, outlets like Plots of America with um, Kara Swisher, spoke with Katie Couric. And it was after his interview with Adweek that I became concerned about um, about everything because he uh, he had called himself, um, he was positioning himself as co-founder, which was fine by me. But in that article, I was positioned or portrayed as um, one of the individuals helping him run the accounts. So at that point, I called a meeting and I said, hey, listen, I, I don't want to be portrayed as your helper or your assistant. It's important that I um, that I'm also portrayed as a leader because you know I I have been involved in this work for the whole time and I realize that I'm in a really unique position. Like both of us, we're both in a very unique position to be able to influence the advertising industry, and I want to be able to speak at conferences and events, and I want to be present at the table when some of these big decisions are being made. And that's why it's important to me to have a title. Um, so I, I, 
you know, we had that discussion and he said, um, I completely understand. Let's get you a title. You can call yourself, um, you know, whatever you want. Obviously not founder. I'm the founder. So you can call yourself, uh, you know, come up with a name. So I said, how about founding organizer? And he agreed to that. So that is, um, that's what I called myself for about a year. During that time, he, he continued to position himself as founder, of course, and was able to leverage that to, um, to get invited to big conferences. Uh, you know, I don't know, for example, South by Southwest and um, Advertising Week and so on. And I just kind of felt like I was flailing. I didn't really have an opportunity to, um, to you know, to, to speak at anything like that because I, I mean, I, I, A, didn't have a title and B, I didn't have any contacts in the industry. I truly was sort of cast out on my own. Again, like advertising isn't really my world. I don't have connections in that industry. I worked in like the tech startup scene. It's a totally different world. So, um, so it was, a, it was, it was frustrating. I couldn't get to where I wanted to be. So what I did was I asked him for, I basically asked him for the scraps. I was like, can I like, would you mind telling me about some of these conferences that you're going to? I would love to come along. I would like to be your plus one. Um, you know, we can work the room together. We can meet more people together. Um, you know, I was always really careful about, I don't want to steal your thunder. I don't want the attention. I just want to be working in the background um, to, I don't know, to, to, to make something happen. And, um, and he would, you know, there was, there was a power differential there because he, this is his industry and he's older than me and he knows more people than me. And he would bring that up quite frequently in the calls that we had um, where I was sort of outlining my issues. So he never really, um, you know, he'd always say, uh, yeah, sure. I will, you know, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a shout <laughs> if these, if these things happen, but he never did. There was a couple of other things that, concerned me. I didn't have any access to the general inquiries email. Just like I just didn't know what was coming into into the organization. Like, was he receiving media opportunities there um, or opportunities to speak, private consulting opportunities? These were the kinds of things that weren't coming to me necessarily. Um, he was asking me to, he had asked me to send all press requests to him because that would help us stay on message. So you don't want too many people speaking to the press. I thought that was a little weird because, you know, I was running the Facebook account completely independently. It's not like I was getting permission from him before I wrote posts or anything like that. So it's not like I would muddle the message because I know what the message is. I write the message every day. I don't, I just, I don't like... I'm not involved in anything related to the merch shop. I don't know how much money is being made. I don't know how it's being spent. Um, when I asked for access to that, he said, you're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. We'll be right back. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. 
We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash nogirls code nogirls. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Let's get right back into it. As Matt's public profile grew, Nandini's role in Sleeping Giants was obscured. As she writes in her Medium piece, on Twitter, Matt began to replace what was once a collective we with I and my. The work I had done with Sleeping Giants was also appearing on his conference bio, the vagueness that once helped us look like a mysterious group bigger than we were was now being claimed solely by him. I didn't have the media attention or connections that Matt did. I wasn't 45, white, and I certainly didn't know anybody in advertising. I was young, unknown, and invisible. It's difficult for me to hear about Nandini's experience with Sleeping Giants. I certainly know what it's like to be passed over for being credited or compensated for my work, and if you're a woman, especially a woman of color, you probably know what that feels like, too. I've avoided speaking up because I didn't want to seem like a bragger or someone who couldn't share the spotlight. Or worse, someone who was only interested in accolades. And in our deeply sexist culture, is there anything more shameful than being a woman who wants success? And it's especially tricky when you're working for social change. The implication being that we should all be doing the work just because we care about making change not because we want credit. But this line of thinking can actually be kind of a trap that keeps us from taking what's ours while our wins are claimed by somebody else. You're not an attention seeker for wanting to be acknowledged for your work. One thing that I hear time and time again is why it's important to get credit. I feel like people really need to understand that it's not about fame and fortune and the limelight. Unfortunately, the way that it works in the, in many tech industries is if you don't have a title or if you don't if you're not able to point to something and say, "Yeah, I did that," you're not going to get invited to the conference. You're not going to get invited to speak. You're not going to get, you know, the consulting opportunity. You're not going to be able to 
build up your platform to be able to have a bigger footprint to do the kind of work and make the kind of change that you want to make. And so when women, particularly women of color, advocate for themselves to get the title, to get the credit, it's not because we're fame hungry, you know, attention hungry, you know, spotlight hogs. It's because if we don't have those things, we're not going to be able to have the kind of impact that we want to be able to have. And so I I think that, I mean, I guess I know that I have often felt a little skittish about asking for a title or because I don't want to look like I'm trying to, you know, be a fame, a fame hog or something. When in reality, it's just how, it's just the nature of how a lot of these businesses work. I mean, you said it. That's exactly right. I was so afraid of looking like or being perceived as someone who just wanted attention that I tried to sidestep that issue by uh, by denying myself credit and by sort of actively staying away from the titles that would have given me the power I needed. As a co-founder, when I finally made that shift from a nonsense title, founding organizer doesn't mean anything. It's like assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> um, when I made that shift, uh, I just, I, I found that people responded to me differently. I found that I took myself more seriously. Um, it was really eye-opening to me to see how how important titles are for people who are not traditionally viewed as leaders in the society. Um, I, I almost underestimated myself, like how, I guess I didn't realize how the, how the world sees me. That was, that was something that I kind of learned the hard way. The world, uh, you know, despite the fact that I was good at what I do, that I had demonstrated my, my abilities, I, people looked at me and, didn't see me as a leader. They a lot, a lot. I'm sure a lot of people still don't. Um, so really claiming that title is one of the most important things that you can do. And I don't want anyone to think that um, th- that doing that is is some kind of uh, uh, making a beeline for the fame and fortune or the glory of it all. Nandini decided that she was going to stop playing by the rules Matt set for her the rules that allowed him to grow his public profile while she went forgotten and overlooked. The rules that allowed Matt to fly to France to accept the prestigious Cannes Lion Award, essentially the Oscars of the creative industry, on behalf of the organization they created together without even telling her. So when did you decide, I am going to claim this title for myself, I'm, I'm going to walk in, walk in this title and walk in this purpose, and I don't care what Matt thinks? It was after it was after he DM'd me a picture of himself accepting a can gold lion in June 2019. And it was super casual, like, hey, we just want a can gold lion. And he hadn't told me he was gonna be in France. <laughs> he hadn't told like I found out through Instagram that he was in can I had to DM him and be like, "Oh, cool, you're in Europe." And uh, and yeah, it was it was um, it was really shocking. And I had that was a very difficult week for me because first of all, I as I said, I'm not from the industry, so I I, I knew the Ken Gold Line was a big deal, but I didn't realize that it was like the Oscars of the ad industry. And I was receiving messages from all sorts of people that I that never talked to me were like, wow, congratulations. And it was, it was, it was like additional emotional labor for me. I had to, uh, I had to basically lie on his behalf. You know, people asked me why I wasn't there. And if I said the truth, I wasn't invited. I wasn't told that would, that would sort of blow our cover. Right. And I didn't want to create problems for sleeping giants. So I just, I was like, yeah, I just couldn't make it. So I realized at that point that I was, I was not actually ever going to be made a part of this campaign. I was being actively erased from the story. Um, I was not mentioned anywhere. 
at one of our, our sort of highest points of our campaign. And I realized that all the things that I had been doing over the past year were only serving to were only serving him and allowing him to sort of accumulate power. And I was giving up my power. I was giving up my power when I sent over press requests to him, which allowed him to uh, build out his resume and, you know, and say, you know, I've spoken to or I have been quoted in all these news outlets. I was giving up my ability to do the same. I was giving up my power when I allowed myself to be called founding organizer and um, and being consistently seen as a number two and someone who doesn't, you know, necessarily know what's going on or or can speak for the organization. So I made an executive decision over my own life. <laughs> I promoted myself to co-founder. And the first opportunity I had to do that was about two months later. It was actually this exactly this time last year when I, um, I was preparing for a presentation for a talk in Scotland. And just a few days before, I was looking for a fresh example of tech platforms being irresponsible. And I went to the Ku Klux Klan's website and found PayPal, uh, a PayPal widget on their site. And my brain's so broken that I don't know what a big deal is anymore. I just tweeted it out like I tweet a million other things. And, <laughs> and I moved on, you know. And um, a couple days later, just right after I gave that big talk, where someone had changed my title, bless them, from from co-founder, from founding organizer to co-founder, uh, without my knowledge. But you know, again, bless them. <laughs> so a couple of days after that, PayPal banned the KKK <laughs> from their services, and the BBC called me asking for a quote, and I told them that I was co-founder of Sleeping Giants. Um, the day after that, I got a profile out in an ad industry uh, magazine called The Drum. It turns out that the reporter that I spoke to, the first reporter I spoke to after the conference was uh, doing a profile on me. And so I had this, all of a sudden I had this profile on me calling, calling me the co-founder of Sleeping Giants. And they had, you know, they had, it was like a, a full piece on what I think of the ad industry and how things are going. Wow. What did that feel like for you? It felt like I had just come into my power. Mm. Like I had just stepped into my power. I was actually, um, I was with my friend, Claire, who is now my business partner. And we just looked at each other. I mean, she knew that I had been going through a lot and we just looked at each other and we were like, wow, everything is is turning around look how quickly things turn around when you claim what's yours mm. fuck yeah i'm like i'm like on the verge of tears listening to this <laughs> I, I think your story is your story is my story your story is the story of so many women of color out there i think that we are often told that there is virtue in just keep your head down and do your work and be behind the scenes there's a virtue in making yourself small and not claiming that power. And then when you, when, you, when you ride in that lane of making yourself small, of not walking in your power, and then you finally say, I'm done with this. Today is the day that I, that I, that I abandon that and I walk in my power. The feeling, like it is, it is like nothing else. And it comes from inside, right? And I think that we are sold this lie that the path of just keep grinding, keep your head down and, and you'll get your, you'll get your reward. You'll get your credit someday. Maybe it just really doesn't, it doesn't serve us. No, it doesn't. I, I spent, I, I can't imagine what I could have accomplished if, you know, what I could have accomplished even sooner if I hadn't, you know, if I had chosen to step into that power before what what I did instead, because after after that can incident, I was I was I was gonna leave. I mean, I had deeply considered leaving Sleeping Giant. 
because I wasn't getting the respect I was asking for because I was going to, I, all I was going to get was the crumbs in the relationship and the way that it stood at that point in time. What I did instead was I decided to stay and I decided that I would change the rules. I wasn't going to play by the rules that were made for me. I guess the moment that I stopped playing by the rules and when I started to uh, to speak to the press, to start writing under my own name, which is something that I hadn't been doing, people started to see, first of all, people just started to see me. I just became more visible. And that put me in a position where people wanted to reach out to me because they wanted to talk to me about my thoughts. And that allowed me to start connecting with people in the industry. And that's what helped me to meet the people who would become my allies, the people who would make introductions for me in the industry, um, you know, the people who would become my future business partners. And it was a slow moving situation. Um, none of it happened overnight, but really that investment in building relationships um, and building my knowledge was what helped me get to the point where I could just come out and say, I am co-founder and uh, this is who I am. You talked earlier about your allies. You have this great line on your medium piece that I love. You say, it costs nothing to make space for me. It costs nothing to CC me in. It costs nothing to empower other people to achieve their goals. And I think you just really hit the nail on the head. All of the people in my life who have been my allies and my co-conspirators, they are the ones who are down to send the email, down to write a reference, down to connect me with an opportunity, because it doesn't cost them anything. And I really think we need to reject this mindset that tells us that we have to be stingy when it comes to resources or putting somebody else on. Because what's better is if we lift others up as we climb. And all of our work is better when we empower each other. There's truly enough room for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were so many times where I, I mean, I mean, I, I learned so much in the past year and many times I offered to get on calls with, you know, with my partner and brief him on what I had learned and I wanted to make it work. And to the point that I was willing to continue working with someone who was fairly toxic towards me in the way that he spoke to me at times. But I wanted to make it work because the movement that we have here, the movement that we have built is more important than either one of our egos. Do, do you ever feel that, you know, I don't really even know how to put this, like in work that involves tech and the internet, we have this myth that there's this one genius usually a white dude, but it's usually this like one genius who does everything. Like we love the idea that there's, you know, one lone wolf who is doing this really cool work. And that really denies what we know is the truth, that so much of this work is collaborative. So much of it is, you know, people working together. Do you think that's a like a, like a problem in the tech space and in the sort of ad space in general? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see the press was dying to find their lone wolf hero for this sleeping giant story. Like, I just don't think they knew what to do with a woman like in the story, which made no sense to me because in the New York times article, in our big coming out article, we were equally weighted visually, you know, the pictures were the same size. Why did no one ask about me? <laughs> like, where did the girl go? <laughs> where is she at? What does she think about the issues? I mean, it is a campaign against bigotry and sexism. Where is the brown girl? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think the industry as well as the media is looking for their, um, for their white man savior, which is a problem. But... I believe that I believe that I am um, I mean I've, I've taken those lessons to heart and I I see how these stories are built now and I am dead set on never letting that happen again at least in 
in my life and in my in my work um, and the people whose lives that I touch um, with the company that Claire and I ended up starting after a year of working together, researching things together, interviewing uh, people together. We launched this company as co-founders, as equal partners. There was never any question about it. And uh, I have name dropped her in, well, I guess in our relationship now, as we started, as we started this company, I'm sort of the more well-known person. And I, that sort of gives me, that sort of puts me in a place of privilege in our relationship. And so I use that to name drop her in everything that I do. And when I see an opportunity where I think, you know, an opportunity comes to me that I think she's better suited for, um, I send it over to her and she does the same for me. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me you'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. And we're back. Alongside our partner, Claire Atkin, Nandini now runs Check My Ads, an organization that helps brands keep their ad money away from fake news, disinformation, and hate speech. And as much behind-the-scenes success as she had getting brands to pull their ad dollars away from inflammatory sites, with Sleeping Giants, their work created another kind of problem. Brands concerned about ending up in Sleeping Giants as crosshairs and weary of being associated with anything negative— started using keyword-blocking software to make sure their ads weren't running on controversial topics. 
Now, Wired reports that these ad blockers actually end up blocking terms in kind of haphazard ways. The magazine publisher Hearst complained that articles about Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, spelled S-U-S-S-E-X, were being blocked because the word sex appeared on block lists. What's worse, terms like lesbian and bisexual were blocked for being controversial. Some block lists also blocked ad placements on news articles from reputable sites about coronavirus information. And some brands were blocking their ads from news sites in general, creating less ad money for an already struggling news industry. Her new company, Check My Ads, aims to tackle the issues her work with sleeping giants might have inadvertently contributed to. So I want to talk about Check My Ads. I was just reading the Wired uh, piece about Check My Ads. So in a, in a kind of way, and forgive me if I bungle this and feel free to, to correct me. Um, I'm no ad tech person, but I, I, I got a handle on it. So in a kind of way, Sleeping Giants, as, as many you know, successes as y'all had, in a kind of way, it, it kind of made the media landscape a bit worse because some brands were then like, oh, well, if I'm going to get dinged for having my ad next to you know, a hate site, I'm just going to have my ads pulled from anything that could be possibly con- you know, read as controversial, even things like COVID. You know? And so it really kind of created a, a, a problem for how ad dollars were spent in the media landscape more generally. Is that, is that sort of correct? That's 100% correct. What I never anticipated working on this campaign when you know, when we when we started tweeting at companies, we were very clear that we think that they should look at their ad placement on Breitbart because it is, um, you know, we use very specific descriptors like homophobic, xenophobic, racist, white nationalist. Um, what we did not realize or anticipate was that the way that that work would be interpreted in the boardroom would be, oh, these guys are just going after um, content they don't agree with and content that is like so-called controversial because the boardrooms are filled with mostly white people. The ad, the ad industry is mostly white guys and the, and the tech industry and the ad tech industry are mostly white people. So they don't feel comfortable having conversations about racism or even using that word. So they literally just swapped out racist with the word controversial or (laughs) offensive or even yikes, yikes moments. (laughs) Not yikes. Not yikes. It's called hate speech. (laughs) Oh, oh, that really, oof. They will do some like, I I, I love the like euphemisms for not having to use the word racist. (laughs) It's a yikes moment. Yep. (laughs) So... Check My Ads is, uh, we started it as a brand safety consultancy to A, help companies check their ads, to understand where their ads are going, to help them identify um, hate speech and disinformation in their media buy. And we also, on the other hand, help them to become more intentional about what they want to support. Because that's sort of what brands are looking at these days. There's so many, um, there's so many reasons that our existing channels are um, are toxic or brand unsafe or causing trouble in society. That brands and marketers are really starting to explore ways to be um, be smarter and 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 spend their money in a way that's more aligned with their uh, with their values. So. We're helping brands to define their own rules and define what, where the line is when it comes to their media buy. So that really helps them to start thinking about what they want to support in a way that doesn't feel political. We want them to be able to have that conversation through a shared language where, they, where they're able to sit down and say, we shouldn't be advertising on a website like this because it's not aligned with, you know, this value or, um, you know, or this campaign that we have in place and to do so in a way that doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. So we want people to, to, we want to be able to facilitate those conversations within a company so they can make those decisions ahead of time instead of having to respond to them, you know, when it turns into a massive issue on social media. 
Nandini is fully a leader in her industry. Her innovative work helps shift culture and build paths for accountability online that anyone with a Twitter account can participate in. And now she's building on what she's learned to refine the way she makes change. None of this would be possible if she had just kept her head down, made herself small, and followed somebody else's plan for her life. After she published her Medium piece, in a tweet, Matt apologized and acknowledged Nandini as a rightful co-founder of Sleeping Giants. And now, she wants to make sure that other women know there's nothing wrong with wanting credit for your work. What would you say to a woman out there that's listening that, you know, is put keeping her head down, she's doing the grind, she's afraid to step into her power, as you put it, you know, she, she wants credit, she wants that title, but she doesn't know where to start and she's afraid to even, to even start that journey. What would you say to someone like that? I would say that she can start building her own power today by writing. I was able to start building my power when I had nothing and nobody simply by writing a little bit on LinkedIn every day. Just a little bit about current events, about how I feel about something that happened, my opinion, my perspective. No one asked and for a long time no one cared. But when you do it every day, you demonstrate your knowledge and your insight. You represent what you're capable of. You show people how you think and how you approach problems. And people do start to pay attention. You do start to build out the, 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 the people who care, the people who want to engage with you. And, uh, and from there, you grow out the, you can start building out the relationships that you need to either, you know, find your next place, a less toxic place, a place where you can be more powerful. And, um, and at the very least to, to build your personal influence. That was something that really helped me was just positioning myself as a thought leader, even if it was to no one but me, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. You just, you get used to saying, I, that was something that I never did because I thought, who cares? Like, who cares what I think, right? I don't even care what I think. I mean, that was that was the attitude I had about myself. So just the the simple act of saying I, this is what I think, was quite radical for me. Because what you think matters. So what you write matters too. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech, or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unboss Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.